right, so do you want to jump in and do our top ten and bottom five list of this year? Oh, yeah, let's do it. All right, uh, so starting with top ten? Starting with top ten. Okay. Uh, number ten for me is A Quiet Place. Oh, perfect. That's my number ten, wow, too. That's so awesome. <laughs> uh, a Quiet Place was just a really, really solid movie. A lot of people called it this year's Get Out. Not quite to that same level, but I thought it was super solid, like a really well-made film, like John Krasinski like convinced me he's a real actor and a real director. Yeah, right. I same. I loved it. I was loving. I loved seeing Jim do some other things. <laughs> I'm rewatching The Office right now. The suspense is really good. Really nice, interesting idea. They really put you in this world of like what you would have to do to survive. The opening scene with the rocket ship and the uh, kid. Man, that sets up the tone. Like, no one's safe after that. That's brutal. Like, that's hardcore. Emily Blunt also does a great job. Like, I will always take laundry in two loads now because I do not want... I'm going to be looking for nails and everything. God, that was honestly top three, like, hardest scenes to watch this year was uh, was the, the nail in the foot. Yeah. Uh, also, Emily Blunt... If they had a sixth slot for Best Supporting Actress, I might have put her in it. Really? Well, Best Actress, the category fraud. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I also love when... uh, This was one of my favorite jokes on Reddit, was when uh, John Krasinski... Spoiler alert for Quiet Place. He sacrifices himself to the monsters, whatever, and he's looking at his kids, and he like does sign language that says, I always loved you. But the sign... In sign language, the sign for love is like an X over your chest and everything. <laughs> so it looks like it's the Wakanda thing. So it was like people on that line were like, I always Wakanda you. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, and it also is cool because I took sign language in like high school and college as my language. So it was nice seeing like, oh, whoa, they're actually doing. Yeah, it's cool. It's really cool that they do that. And they actually got a deaf girl to play his daughter and everything. Uh, yeah, it was just really cool seeing like an actual death girl up there too, doing everything, doing it well, and it was just a really good movie. Yeah, number nine for me is Black Klansman. Okay, uh, Black Klansman. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a huge Spike Lee guy. He's very hit or miss. He's like very in your face about everything. And I, yep, I will agree with that. <laughs> uh, but I did really like Black Klansman because it felt it felt like almost like a complete journey, like from start to finish. You just get thrown straight into the action. There's the the main character just shows up at the police station and says, I want to be a detective. And he's like, you know no black person's ever been a police officer here. And you just jump straight in. And it it does stuff that I don't usually like where it's like, oh, and then this happens and then this happens. Uh-huh. But he makes it work. Like, the, the uh, Ron Stallworth just calls the KKK. He just... <laughs> does it and it's just it's just kind of almost out of nowhere and it feels weird but like that just feels like what this character would do and his journey of like being an undercover uh clan member along with adam driver who like is deservedly recognized for his performance in this movie uh is really good but also topher grace uh <laughs> put in an amazing performance as david duke yeah like i i almost would try and co-nominate adam driver and topher grace so it's come a long way from that 70s show. Yeah, and from uh, Venom, from Ven- Spider-Man 3. From Spider-Man 3, man. Oh, man. The best Venom, right? Yeah. Best Venom. No. <laughs> um, okay, my number nine. I was debating about... It's a documentary. It's still a really good documentary, and I know it's a little different to rank documentaries than regular films, but it's a documentary on Netflix called Get Me Roger Stone. Oh. It... 
if you watch politics right now with everything going on, it really shows you the insight of like our president's mindset and who taught him this guy, Roger Stone, who's in the news right now for um, a lot of things, but you get to see his like perspective and like how he became who he is. And he is a genius asshole. Like, man, he knows he just knows how to work the system and work politics. Like he is one of the, if he's always been in really big historical events of like our generation, like he was a huge reason why Bush got elected. Mm -hmm. The reason why Trump ran for president and he, Trump used his mythology and like philosophy of Roger Stone. And it's just good. If you have a couple hours and want to understand this guy, watch that documentary. Yeah, I hadn't seen it, so now I'm gonna, I guess I gotta see it. Yeah, I like, I weirdly at the end respect Roger Stone too, <laughs> just because he just like doesn't give a shit about what you think about him, mm-hmm. and he will do anything to win. Like, he's not a good person, not at all, but like, you know, I respect a hard worker. Yeah. Like, if he actually was like doing his hard work to go solve climate change I'm sure he would but he would have done it yeah um, interesting documentary definitely think people should go watch it well good uh, my number eight is First Man mm. uh, a movie that was like projected to be like the Academy Award like darling and then just really fell off after it didn't get a good box office reception and a lot of people were a little cold to it uh, I liked it a lot because it's it took it took a subject most people know and really just went in depth on it because like everyone just is like oh Neil Armstrong he's the guy that landed on the moon he must have been like bombastic and all this other stuff and just the way that Ryan Gosling portrays him is like very is very like quiet very very small and like he just works his he just works so hard to work his way up to being uh, the Neil Armstrong that everybody knows and he's it, it got a lot of flack for being like distant mm-hmm. but it was kind of that thing where Neil Armstrong was like. Uh, at least the way that he's portrayed in the story, in First Man is like trying to get over loss and like very sad things, and it it made sense that it's like this movie that's trying to be emotional, but also at the same time keeping you at a distance because that's you know that's what uh, what Neil Armstrong was at least going through according to the movie. So and also Claire Foy is like amazing. She also should have been put in the supporting actress category because she. As as thankless as a, as the, as the doting wife character can be, she mm-hmm. she makes it her own. Okay, nice. I am surprised first band didn't get a little more attention at the Oscars, but it is weirdly depending on how big the box office is. Like, yeah, I know people are always like, oh yeah, like no one's seen these movies and stuff, but like, I think it's like box office like expectations because it was supposed to make like twenty to thirty opening weekend, and mm-hmm. then like. Was at fourteen and just died out. No, I have one on my list that I think I, I'm. Well, I know why I did get nominated, but cool. or nominated talked about. Like no one's even seen this thing, but we'll get there when we get there. Um, so that was your number eight. Yeah, number eight. All right, my number eight is Vice. Ooh, all right. Tell yeah. me about that. That's on my list at number fourteen. Okay. I, this is the last political thing. Trust me, I'm not like a political junkie or any, well, yes and no, but not like for film. Subscribe to politics, junkie. Yeah. <laughs> I thought just the character of way, the way they show Dick Cheney and how he really took over the Bush administration and like how his way, it was his way or the highway really like was shown well. We see his change from being this electrician guy to the VP of the president is like yeah. insane. 
the editing was amazing on this. Like, it does little tricks here and there to make you realize what the characters are doing. Like, there's this one scene where Dick Cheney is talking to George Bush, and Dick Cheney's, like, trying to highball him. Like, yeah, I want to lead all these things. I want to be leader of defense, and I want to be leader of foreign action. Bush is just like, all right. And then they cut to another, like, all, like a different take of uh, Cheney, like, looking surprised and, like, laughing maniacally real quick, and then back to the normal scene. It was just really good editing. The story, like, we grew up in the Bush administration, but not to the point where, like, we could... I mean, at least for me, I didn't completely understand what was going on. Like, I knew we were in a war, and that Dick Cheney shot someone in the face. (laughs) Yep. Uh, But that was pretty much it. So learning all of this and sort of seeing, like, you know, how it was back in the day, I liked. Oh, that's good. I... Yeah, I, I'm very divisive on Vice because that's why it's not quite in my top ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't, I can't help but respect it. It's just so he's so angry. Adam McKay is so angry. <laughs> Even if you see interviews with him, he's just like, yeah, people are like, oh, I wish we were back with uh, Bush and everything. And I'm like, do you remember what Bush was like? Like, come on. And this is the same guy that made Anchorman. Yeah, right. It's a also it's a cool transition from what he's been through because he started off at SNL yeah. right and then he did Anchorman and now he's doing Academy Award movies so you know yeah. it's uh, just cool cool to see it's good no, my, uh, so my number seven is Bad Times at the El Royale okay that's a movie most people have completely forgot about it came out around the same time as First Man uh, and didn't open very well and closed uh, without much noise mm-hmm. and I honestly watched it because I was at work uh, well, I was at work on a Saturday because that happens sometimes. Uh, sometimes, and, yeah. <laughs> and I just had to wait around for something to happen, so I just put on the movie, and I was thoroughly impressed. It's it's one of those stories. Uh, if you've seen the trailers, it's about like these eight people that show up at a hotel, mm-hmm. and they all kind of come from different places, but they're all somewhat related a little bit, and you get like uh, vignettes throughout, kind of seeing each person what led them to the hotel and what their ultimate fate is by the end of it. And it's like, it, it looks like it's just this stylish, like, revenge movie, like, also, like, a heist mm-hmm. and a priest who may not be a priest and this woman who's, like, trying to chase her singing dreams. But somehow it all becomes uh, an allegory for America in the 1960s and 70s and, like, our place in the Vietnam War and, like, so many other wow. things. And it, the trailers would not let you know that. I did not. Nothing at all. I, yeah. I haven't seen Battle Royale, so... Yeah, it's, uh, it's, so, it's so many tiny details in it that, like, mean so much. And by the time that you get to the end and the character, either characters you like or don't like got what they wanted or what they didn't want, and everything just feels so cathartic that this two-and-a-half-hour journey, like, finally completed and... Especially like there, there's a character like at the beginning uh, who's like the the like the bellhop mm-hmm. who just kind of seems like a, a throwaway character and by the end he becomes like the like the moral center of the movie and he's not shown in any of the advertising either. Damn. Like okay. it's it's it, I might just appreciate like the craft that it went into it more than the movie itself, but I really did like it. Okay. Damn. All right. Uh, so my number seven is Hereditary. Hey. Um. I'll I'll just say that it's on my list, too, at number five. Okay, so Hereditary is number five for you, seven for me. Man, this movie was something. (laughs) Boy, oh boy, was it something. Uh, I (laughs) I was not expecting this movie to be 
what it was because I heard great things coming out of I think it was at Sundance where it got picked up maybe some one of those festivals and people were like it's the scariest movie you've ever seen and I'm like alright I'll be the judge of that and I don't really like horror movies mm-hmm. but holy shit was this awesome yeah this oh man you just I don't even know how to I don't think you can like describe it too much it's, it's a movie that's about uh, a family who just uh, a woman who just lost her mother uh, played by Toni Collette, who's the woman, and then she loses her mother. Uh, and she's kind of like a, a miniature house maker. Yeah, like a dollhouse. Uh, yeah, it's like, it's like kind of art installations. Uh, and slowly she kind of realizes that, like, her there might have been some secrets that her grandmother was hiding. And she, and she doesn't know if, like, maybe the bad things that happened to her in her life can be passed down hereditarily mm-hmm. uh, to her own children. Uh, one of whom is like uh, uh, somewhat disabled, and the other is <laughs> Alex Wolf from the Naked Brothers Band. How that happened? It's just I hated that show growing up, and yes. now it's like wow, I'm watching this dude. Act. He's also so good in that movie. Yeah, too. Oh no, he's good. He's good. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Like, I this is one that I don't really want to spoil or anything because I think people should just go see it. Yeah. But there are certain scenes where I was like, just. Like uncomfortable, you know, and, and it does not go anywhere that you're expecting it to go. No, like in a good way, not like so. So many mysteries are happening, and like it's it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, there was. Do you want to go into when you watched it originally? Uh, when I watched it originally, it was in the theater with a few friends, and uh, when two or three key things happened, there was this moment where everyone in the theater just like all our minds locked together and all felt the exact same thing like this this is this is something new and this is something weird and different yeah it, it, it's something we're, we're being vague but you should just definitely yeah. watch it um, okay so what's your number six uh, number six for me is can you ever forgive me okay uh, it's a movie with Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant where uh, Melissa McCarthy plays a real life uh, biographer who was falling on hard times. No one was buying her books anymore. Or they were buying her books, but no one was, like, letting her write more books. Her publisher didn't let her do anything. So she took old literary notes, like things that uh, famous authors and famous artists would, like, write to each other. Uh, And she would forge those documents and then sell them to collectors. And from there, she just becomes kind of like this, this wheeling and dealing, like, woman who forged, I think, like, they say at the end of the movie, somewhere upwards of, like, maybe 2,000 documents. Jesus. Uh, and sold them all for, like, you know, a few hundred dollars each because they were, you know, they're, uh, icon- like, they're priceless artifacts, especially in, like, the art collecting world, which apparently is huge. Uh, and it just you just get to see the relationship mostly between uh, Melissa McCarthy and Richard E. Grant, who he plays, like, a con artist kind of guy who helps uh, teach her the ways of, uh, of illegal uh, uh, practices. And just, it's mostly there, the two of them, like, bouncing off of each other. They're these two people who have no friends. <laughs> They're both horrible people. Oof. But they somehow find redeeming qualities in each other. And thus, the audience finds redeeming qualities in them. And it's a drama, but, like, Melissa McCarthy, like, still makes it really funny. Okay. That's honestly uh, the only good film Melissa McCarthy was in this year, unfortunately. Oh, we'll talk about another one of those oh, in a little bit. Oh, God. Uh, what's your number six? Crazy Rich Asians. All right. Oh, man, did I love this movie. <laughs> this movie, like, I feel like we should do a podcast just talking about, like, why Crazy Rich Asians is great and blah, blah, blah. Cause well, you can do that one. I'll be the, the counterpoint. <laughs> okay. Well, I just thought, 
this one totally like re- like gave new life to the romantic comedies of like all right here's our new spin on it like you need to add family and tradition to it where like you know rom-coms have definitely been like sort of a dying genre where it's just like okay uh boy meets girl will boy meet with girl Oh, they get together, but they had that one instance where there was a misunderstanding, and now there's a sad pop song. But now they're back together. With this one, it definitely, like, it adds just a whole new layer to everything. And I think this is what rom-coms are going to do in the next couple years, is just have that extra thing of family on top. Because this is also what uh, The Big Sick did yeah, in a different way. Not as, like, in your—well, it was in your face. It was, like, a B-plot, but this is the main plot of, like, family and tradition. Character introductions, I always talk about it. Man, they had good character introductions on this. Um, it was funny. It it was just a lot. And honestly, I respect the director a ton. Because, man, he had some balls. Because Netflix was willing to buy this movie for X amount of money and mm-hmm. produce all the sequels. And the director was basically like, nah, I think this movie's going to do really well. And then Warner Bros. want to pick it up anyways. Yeah. Oh, my God. Could you imagine that? You, like, you pass up a ton of money, that, well, at least what looks like a ton of money at first, to be on Netflix. And you guarantee three movies. But you're like, no, this movie deserves to be seen on a big screen and people are going to go see it. And that's a huge gamble. And it paid off. Yeah. I mean, this was one of the top ten most... Uh, most profitable movies in the summer or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it was definitely one of the most profitable movies this year. Yeah, like, who the hell put that on their top ten list? Like, if you were like, yeah, top ten list, crazy rich Asians, I'd be like, what? Who are you? Yeah. Uh, what? And I, that dude, the director, saw it. Props to him. Smart Props guy. Props to him. No, I, I liked it. I was not as crazy about it as most people. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think you'll also be getting to a movie soon that I also liked but wasn't crazy about. Okay. Uh, but for me, number five, obviously Hereditary. Uh, right. for, for exactly the same reasons that you were saying. Uh, but what are your, what's your number five? My number five is Avengers Infinity Wars. Hey. All right. Yes, this is the... If you haven't watched any of the other Avenger films, you're not going to get it. You're going to be lost. Actually, no, you won't. Yeah. I, my one of my coworkers, he said he'd never seen a Marvel movie, and he watched Avengers on a plane, the Infinity War on a plane, because he's like, I got nothing to do right now. I can kill three hours, and he liked it a lot. Damn. Okay. So it, it helps to know all the story, but you don't need to. It just like this. The MCU in general in the past decade has been a huge thing. This is literally what it's been going up to, like leading up to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people didn't think they would be able to pay it off, and they did that. Plus, some. like it was amazing. Great direction, great fight scenes. The special effects look amazing. Also nominated for Academy Award, which they definitely deserve. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, you're just like, I want more. I want to see what happens next. And it's definitely the Empire Strikes Back of the MCU. If you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I hope your children weren't traumatized. (laughs) It's just, it brought it up to new levels. And I didn't even know they could hit it. They hit it out of the park. And um, just a fun story also. Uh, Sam and I went to go see Avengers Infinity Wars together. And we were making our crazy predictions before the movie or whatever. And so I was like, F it. Red Skull's going to be in here. And then Sam goes, F it. They're going to make a joke out of Peter Dinklage's height. And they both did it. Oh, my God. I wish I was in Vegas. We would make so much money. Well, I remember when Red Skull showed up. You were just like, where he was like, it's it's him. Yeah. (laughs) Good. I literally was blown away. 
I was like, uh, I can't believe I called that. I wish I had a podcast to talk about. I, I wish we had a podcast to call that out. <laughs> Whatever. Because okay. also, I listened to other things that were like, all right, yeah, if you thought Red School was in this, like, all right, yeah, sure you did, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, I did think it was in there. But anyways, yeah, um, great movie. It, new stakes for the MCU, and the MCU continues not to have a terrible film. Yeah, so far the worst movie has just been mediocre. Yep. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, Black Panther and Avengers were my 11 and 12 slots, so they just missed out. Okay. Uh, but number four is a movie that I think everyone listening will not have seen. It's called The Writer. Uh, uh, writer, like R-I-D-E-R, so like not like a writer. Okay. So The Writer, uh, it's a movie that's about uh, a, a, like a rodeo cowboy uh, who gets a brain injury and he is told by his doctor that he should never do uh, cowboy like stuff ever again. And the entire movie is just hit mostly him figuring out whether he's going to do it or not. And it's there. He has a family. He has a developmentally disabled sister, like an older dad who was also a, a cowboy. Mm-hmm. And he wants to live up to his dad, but he also only knows how to be a cowboy. He doesn't have anything else, and he wants to make a lot of money to take care of his sister. Uh, uh, and it's just, there's so much that goes on. I don't even, like, want to describe it too much because I want everyone to just experience it okay. as it is. But there's, uh, it's just the, the most the most human and the most, like, I don't even, I wish I could, I would, I just, it transcends so many things I don't know how to describe it. I okay. just loved it a lot. It was, it's in my wheelhouse of things like Roma where it's very low-key, like, moderately low stakes, but you just see this one guy go on this journey, and it's a journey you don't see very often, like, someone trying to be a cowboy and be authentic to it not like the Hollywood version of cowboy where it's like alright let's lasso up some <laughs> some some doggies oh, uh, and it just has some it has uh, one of my I think it's my second favorite scene of the year where uh, the the main cowboy goes to visit one of his friends who was in like a terrible accident and like just seeing the two of them interact is like both both sad and like the most heartwarming thing you've ever seen Damn. Uh, okay. But it's also not for everybody, obviously, in the same way that, like, it can be a little boring to just watch a guy live his life and decide if he wants to be a cowboy or not, because that's not a very relatable thing. Would you... So, are you saying, like, it's not for everyone, like, it's the lobster not for everyone? No, it's or? not for everyone in that it could be seen as boring or pretentious. Uh-huh. Uh, but I I think it I think it transcends that. I think it's a lot, a lot better, and I think if you... It's also based on the the guy who plays the, the cowboy. It's actually based on his real life. Okay. And everybody in the movie plays a version of themselves, basically. And this was made by a woman named Chloe Zhao, who's like a, a Chinese filmmaker who like came to America and like mostly been telling Native American stories. Mm. And she just got signed on by Marvel to do the Eternals movie. Oh, cool. So she's going from the writer, this tiny, low-budget cowboy movie, to the Eternals, like the epitome of, of Marvel. Damn. Hey, that's what Kevin Feige does. He finds those little guys and brings them up. So I wasn't uh, too excited about an Eternals movie because I don't really care about that kind of stuff, but now I'm way psyched for it. Okay. Interesting. Good yeah. Shit. Uh, uh, what's your number four? Number four, Blockers. Oh, wow. All I right. I love this movie, man. It is just very culturally relevant, very, like, understands what, you know, teenagers and high school students are going through while also giving the perspective of the parents 
everyone just kills it in this. Like, all the jokes land. They're super funny, very topical, I could say. Like, the one scene, there's this one scene where the parents are reading the text messages of the, their daughters, and it's like, egg emoji, egg emoji, like, certain faces. They're like, oh, no, they're saying they're going to meet up and drink here. That's the XOXO, and uh, it's funny. I... And it, it is heartwarming, too, at a point where yeah. it's like these parents don't want to, like, lose their children, you know? Like, they are having a hard time coping that they are um, leaving them to go to college eventually and also, like, lo- losing their virginity, which is like, you know, if you're a parent, you... You don't want to know that. Yeah, you don't want to know those details. And John Cena was super funny. I, I Everyone was really funny, and I love the the production company that made it is Good Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got bought by Lionsgate, and they're—I love their movies. Uh, they're good stuff. Good they've, people. They've got good stuff. Uh, no, yeah, I, I agree. I, Blockers was a, a pleasant surprise. It's around the same level as Crazy Rich Asians to me, but like, still very good. Yeah. Uh, and it—I and really like the, the the way that they handle like teenage sexuality, where it's like, no, let, let these girls make their choice. Yep. That was really awesome. No, and. It's they all have arcs, you know. Everyone goes through something and gets through it, and they all at the end of this night change for the better. I would say yes. So, all right, what's your number three? Uh, number three, I'm not going to go into it because we just had like a half hour discussion about why I oh, like it. Okay. Number three is Roma for me. Yeah, okay. uh, I love Roma. Everything about it. We've talked about it enough here. Uh, again, similar to the writer, it's not for everybody. It's a little bit boring and slice of lifey, but like. If you're down for that kind of thing, then then definitely check it out. Mm, sure. <laughs> One of our friends last night called it a grim Mary Poppins. <laughs> I can see that, yep. Yeah, so um, I agree with that. All right, my number three, this is a film that I... This is the most... Actually, not most... My number one's the most sad that I'm surprised... Or, my number one's the most one I wish I'd done better, but my number three is a close second. It's this movie called Blindspotting. I heard of it, yeah. Oh, man. This is this is an absolutely great movie where it talks about the transition between, of um, what Oakland and Northern California is going through, like sort of an identity crisis where, like, I'm originally from the Bay. I didn't live in Oakland or anything, but I'd always hear about, like, oh, like, so-and-so got shot here on the news and, like, oh, don't go, like, sketch stuff. And now it's going through this, like, you know, update of being, like, you know, a better place and, like, people are wanting, like, property values are really high and everything like that. And it's about this guy who's on parole just, like, getting off. I don't even really know how to describe it except, like, the themes are great. The thing it's trying to say is awesome. I can't, I can't articulate how great it is and what the characters go through enough. Like it is a lot of people just changing, like trying to adapt to their new world where they were growing up in this really hard, you know, violent area. And now it's like, Oh yeah, man, I'm from Portland. And, uh, yeah, I got the same tattoo as you where like that dude's tattoo means so much to him. Like, Oh yeah. Like I grew up and this was my heart. And then this Portland guy's just like, yeah, dude, I got it yesterday. I just moved here. And it's like, Oh, you don't know. You don't know Oakland. And uh, it, it talks about police brutality, how it affects people and 
Uh, I can't. I'm not articulating it well, but you should definitely check it out. I can't believe this is this is one literally that the Oscars would love. Directing and acting is great, and I am very sad that it did not get more attention. You know, I heard a lot about it, and like it just kind of came and went because mm-hmm. I saw like previews for it, and I was like going to go see some movies sometime, and it was like on the list, but I got to see other things too. Yeah, and I think yeah, if it was around longer, I bet it would have done so much better, but. Alas. Yes, alas. It happens every year, and you hate to see it, but it's just something that happens. But now that it's on your number three list, maybe people will start checking it out. Yeah, no, strongly recommend. I'm sure you can find it anywhere, uh, iTunes and other places. <laughs> well, my number two is also an Oakland set movie, uh, specifically about like race and things changing, is Sorry to Bother You. Wow. Uh, that, okay. This is... Uh, I, I've, I've mentioned a few divisive films. I think this one is officially the most divisive film uh, of the year, and it's at number two on my list. All right. That, it, it, it's on number 17 for me, so yeah, it's quite a... It's a bit, quite a diff, diff degree of difference. Uh, I loved it because it's... So the story is there's this guy named Cash, mm-hmm. and he uh, needs a job, so he starts working at a telemarketing uh, uh, firm, and he learns the skill... Uh, and he's black. Like the whole area that he lives in is is very is all African American, and he learns that if he talks like how he does, he doesn't sell as many things. But a a wise old black man gives him the advice that he should use a white voice, and suddenly when he starts talking with kind of more more uh, the way that I sound, <laughs> um, he he starts selling so many more things, and like he starts working his way up in the company. And uh, along the way, his, his girlfriend is like a, a performance artist, and she's very much against it. Uh, Stephen Yun from The Walking Dead plays like a uh, like a, a guy who shows up to companies and teaches them how to unionize. So he kind of infiltrates the companies and like makes them better places to work. Uh, and there's a lot that goes on, and there's one moment in this movie, one very specific moment, where you are on board or you are <laughs> off. And I can't, I do not want to tell you anything oh, about no, it because yes. you have, like I said with other things, you have no idea where this one's going. Like, maybe Hereditary, you could tell where that one's going to go. Maybe some of the other movies, maybe Bad Times, Yellow Royale, you could see where this is going. Sorry to bother you, you will not know. You have no idea where this is going. And I was on board 110%. I know plenty of people, people I went to the movie with who were not on board, and I get it. I I think, in my opinion, they could have told their message in another way where the one thing you're talking about, I still think it can be done and everything. I don't think you take that out. But I, I think there's another way to show that. And I have, like, a fan theory about that movie, uh-huh. too. I'm not going to talk about it because I don't want to spoil it's this whole thing. Um, it's very... It has a good... It's very creative, and it has certain things to say, but how do I... I can't... Yeah, it, yeah. I get what you're saying, but also it could have said it a different way, 
but it didn't. And yeah. it chose this way to tell it, and it was very deliberate. You could have you could have done it any other way, and I'm sure a thousand people told him to do it a different way. Oh, he had and, the director had an awful time trying to make this, and and he there's a reason, <laughs> and he did it. And I I'm absolutely all, all about this movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it'll hold up as well on rewatch because it is it's not a very well made like it feels like a really well made student film just with a lot of high price actors and like a very uh, high concept or low concept whatever those terms always confuse me but the, the concept is like is very out there but the way that it's made kind of feels a little amateurish mm-hmm. but I it still add, it adds to the charm for me and okay. I, I was on board with the message I was on board with how they told it and the performances were also super great yeah, yeah. It's not bad. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not raving about it, but I'm not going to, like, tear you down being like, no, this movie doesn't make any sense or anything. Like, it, it was good. The only middle ground person I've heard on this movie. I got the message. I understood what they were saying. I thought the risks they took were good. Or not good, but, like, I respect when you take a risk. Yeah. That's something I've realized when doing this podcast and reviewing, like, talking about films. Like, I really don't like it when people take very safe routes. Yeah. And uh, when we talk about the worst films, that's going to come up a lot <laughs> uh, for one specific instance. But at least this one took a different route. Yeah. Um, okay. So my number two is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Man, this movie kicks ass. Oh, my God. Talking about reinventing superhero movies and origin stories. Uh, and the characters are great. This is my first time I've really gotten to see anything about Miles, Mor- Miles Morales. Uh, great origin story. I love um, Peter Porker. That, I mean, because when I watched, looked at the posters, I looked at Peter Porker and I was like, this looks so dumb. How are you going to make this guy make sense in this movie? Yeah. And they do it. They pull it off. The humor's great. Um, humor's great. Soundtrack is awesome. I, if you guys need to know, it's another Spider-Man origin story. But, like, I would say it's the most original, and that one takes the most risks, too, mm-hmm. out of any Spider-Man movie. And, yeah, I... Don't really want to say more about it. Twist I mean, and turns at left, left and right. I will say that Spider-Man is my uh, sorry to bother you for you. Okay. Because I definitely like it, and I think I'm the person who likes it the least in this entire world. <laughs> uh, I thought it was super solid. Uh, I wasn't able to connect to any of the characters, Damn. but I thought it was very, I thought it was very funny, very fast paced in the action, and just for art alone. It, it's a game changer for that reason, and I yeah. get a lot of points for that. Uh, the animation is like crazy. Like this is a whole new style that they made, and yeah, the humor still hits on. They have a lot of little things that if you rewatch, you'll pick up on. And uh, they pr- the producers on this are Phil Lord and Chris Miller, mm-hmm. who made Twenty Two Jump Street, Twenty One Jump Street, the Lego Movie. They just make great movies. I don't think they've ever made a bad one. So no, that's true. Well, yeah, they had partially for a bad one, but it's not their fault. <laughs> it's not their fault. Uh, but now it's time. Uh, do you want to do just a couple honorable mentions just before we get to number one, just because? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll do some honorable mentions. Yeah, I mean, obviously I mentioned Black Panther and Avengers. Um, all the Oscar movies that I hadn't mentioned are all on my list up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I want to mention specifically is Overlord. Uh, it's a okay. movie that hit and just went away. It's not, a, it's not a great movie, and it's not a game changer, but it's, like, one of the most well-made, like, it's just action, 
beats. It's it's a movie that should have been straight to DVD, but it was so good that mm-hmm. they put it in theaters. And like it it it's unrelenting in like how how much horror there is and how much like action. It never slows down. And you're in, even the characters are still one dimensional, but you're still invested in all of their struggles, even though they're very simple. And it just comes down to uh, who, whose will is stronger than Nazis or the Americans. Uh, that one gets on my list. Uh, Love Simon, I want to mention, okay. and uh, yeah, those, those are those are my upper ones. I've got a few like C grade movies that deserve to be seen, but like they're they're just all right. Okay. Uh, for me, Black Panther, of course. That was my number 11. It was almost there. If I didn't count documentaries, it would have been there. Mission Fallout. Mm-hmm. The scariest movie I have seen this year is another documentary called American Meme. <laughs> and <laughs> I know it sounds like a joke, but like that was the most freaked out I've been watching a movie just because it's like happening right now. It's yeah. about um, these social media influencers and how they are just like addicted to getting likes and like being the next big thing. They interview Paris Hilton and she says like she cares about her, like she loves her fans more than her family and friends and like, damn, that that's, that's really haunting. Like, and she thinks those people care about her the most too compared to her friends and family, which is like, just really sad and like for me scary like I, I can't imagine living that life you know no. like just being addicted to like likes and fans and like needing approval it uh, was an eye opener but hey after this podcast like and subscribe yeah. <laughs> uh, no actually if we're gonna go do documentaries to uh, won't you be my neighbor and three identical strangers I can't believe what won't you don't won't you be my neighbor? Yeah, I can't believe that got snubbed. It literally was the only documentary talked about this year. It should have been the win. It should have not only just been nominated, but it should have won. Yeah, Uh, Three Identical Strangers was really cool too. It felt more like, and it was made by CNN, so it kind of felt more like a TV special Mm -hmm. that just happened to get a theatrical release. But it was a really good story, and I I liked it for that. Okay. All right. Should we talk about our number ones? All right. Number one. What? Uh, this would have been one of my honorable mentions, too. I know what you're talking about. Oh, what I was about to say? Yeah. So, number one for me is Eighth Grade. Yep. Uh, I have a deep love and passion for Eighth Grade. Uh, we talked a little bit about Bo Burnham being included in stuff earlier, and I was not expecting him to have such a... Because his comedy specials touch on, like, emotional topics, and, like, he really gets deep on certain things. But I wasn't expecting him to take the subject of middle school, the subject of social media, the things that are so vapid and, like, unnecessary, and totally making it relatable and making it about something and making these characters, even if you don't understand anything that they're saying, because, like, we're, we're not old, but we're not in eighth grade, so I didn't understand a lot of what was happening with these kids. Uh-huh. And I loved every minute of it. Every kid, like, as it's one of those things where... All the characters were very much three-dimensional, even though they tried so hard to be one-dimensional people in real life. Yeah. Which is, like, almost a commentary on movies, like, in and of <laughs> themselves, because they, because they're trying so hard to just be stereotypes on their own, you get to see so much more about these people, like, on their, like, just as they are. Like, there's the scene with, uh, the main character, and she goes to, like, visit the high school for a little bit to see what it's like, and she sees what someone who just genuinely is herself all the time is like. And that was really heartwarming, and it, it, it's not a horror movie, 
but it has one of the scariest scenes. Yes. I I won't say what it is, but like it's it's close to the end and I've never I haven't been I watched Hereditary and that freaked me out. This scene I've never been more terrified watching a movie. Yes. Than one particular scene uh close towards the end and it's kind of like where she gets her big change. Like so it, it's the tension was was heavy. I cannot agree with you more on that. That scene, like you, it makes you uncomfortable. You're not sure where it's going to happen, and you literally are on the edge of your seat, being like, "Oh my god, like what's yeah. going to happen?" And anything could happen. And like, at this scene, that's like one of my. That's probably my second favorite scene of the year because of how crazy and like a lot it is. And then the scene that follows it is my favorite, which is with her and her dad. Yeah. Uh, the the main character and her dad have a talk afterwards. And it just contextualizes everything, and like, it's mostly about him, but somehow with him talking about how he feels, it makes it all about her too. And it just uh, everything about that movie was just perfect to me. Uh, the main problem that I just have with it is that it's all white people problems, and it's it's so low stakes, but it it feels so high stakes just in and of itself. Yeah, no, it, I mean, yes, it's white people problems, I guess, but it's like what an eighth grader, typical eighth grader would go through, you yeah. know? And there's a lot of movies where, you know, the when they talk about it, it's like, oh yeah, this just feels like the end of the world for these people because they're kids and they, you know, feel like that. This movie really did feel like if things don't go her way, it's the end of the world. Yeah. And I loved it. Well, it also talks about, like, when she's YouTubing and stuff, she's like, all right, guys, like, this is what you need to be. You have to, like, fake it till you make it. Just be confident in yourself and blah, blah, And then we cut to her in real life and she's not able to do that at first. And, yeah. Like, she really, like, pushes herself to that. And it's not like she... She is not someone that's, like, staying stagnant. She tries to do stuff about it. Yeah, and also it also has one of the best cringe scenes ever with the with the banana and her dad, uh, where she, she's, on, she's on YouTube trying to figure out how, uh, oh, what a blowjob is, oh, yeah. and one person's showing her how to do it with a banana, and so she just picks one up, and her dad just comes home, and everything that follows is the best kind of cringe humor you could ever imagine. It 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 hits it runs the gamut of genres, even though it's only about you know a comedy about a girl in in middle school. Yep. Nope, I do not disagree. And what is your number one? My number one, the film that I didn't I didn't. It was like one of the first films I or maybe in the top five films I saw this year that I didn't think was going to survive this long, but I was just amazed. I walked out of the theater not knowing how to deal with myself afterwards, and I could not be more mad about what happened to this movie outside of the uh, box office and how it was handled. Ah, my number one movie, Annihilation. God damn, this movie kicks ass. I feel like I just said that for the past four or five movies, but man, this is like a new frontier for pioneer, or a new pioneer in uh, sci-fi movies. Like mm-hmm. it blows your mind with everything, like clear themes, great acting, a story that I was not sure where it was going to go. And this is like, we just talked about Bird Box last week about how like, oh yeah, we see that everyone dies and stuff. And it was like, mm, what, what, why do we care? Yeah. And this movie does that really well. Yeah. Right. And where it was like, all right, I, I, I don't care that they, I know they're going to die. It's more like, okay, like how are they going to die? Like, I still care yeah. about these people. And like, and also, I'm, that's not a spoiler because in the very first scene, yeah. the doctor tells her, is like, so everyone on your team died. Yeah. And it's just really creative and inventive. 
Oh, man. I am just very frustrated that uh, Skydance and Paramount decided to sell this one to Netflix. And not everyone got to see it because they're just... It's so imaginative. And I understand why why Paramount and Skydance did that because it is... And out there, movie that it, you know, it's hard to grasp at times, but it's amazing. Like, I, this will be one movie that I make sure, like, when I have kids or have like nephews coming around, I will make sure that they are watching this movie because it needs to be. It has to have a cult following to make sure it doesn't just like get lost in all other movies and stuff. No, I agree. I. It's technically in the middle of my list, mm-hmm. but simply for the fact that I don't know if I love or hate it because mm-hmm. it's just there's just so much there's so much to it that I can't tell if it's like brilliant or if I just can't stand it. So I put it in the middle as a as a thing. I lean more towards the side of thinking it's brilliant, mm-hmm. but it's just that some of the other parts that are just so heady that I don't know if I how I how specifically I feel about it. No, I mean, I get it. But it's good. So. No, I, 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 would, I would most likely agree with you. Um, yeah, I just go watch Annihilation, guys. Honestly, yeah, it's not on my list, but go watch it. Like, it's, 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 it's a thing you have to see to believe. Yeah. Uh, all right. So should we talk about our bottom five oh, films? Oh, yeah, let's drop down to this, to this bottom five. Uh, okay. Do you want uh, to start off with this? or? Uh, I'm still thinking about which one. I'm going to just do kind of like a combined number five just because I can't really decide on which one's fully number five. Okay. So uh, we've got uh, in a tie for fifth place uh, A Stupid and Feudal Gesture, The Nun, and Solo, A Star Wars Story. Oh, wow. Those are my three for fifth place because A Stupid and Feudal Gesture wasn't bad. It just wasn't well made and like they didn't make the... They're not supposed to make the characters likable because they weren't really good people. But I wasn't on board with the way that they went about telling the story. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, except for Donald Gleason, He's a great character, and I liked his performance in it. Uh, the Nun... I'm mad about it because I love the Conjuring movies, but, uh-huh. like, it just... It was... It, it was such a popcorn movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it tried to be, like, this action, like, mythological thing rather than trying to be the horror movie that it should have been. And it tackled a lot of cool things. Like, there's a lot of good setup and payoff. But I don't know the point of the setup and payoff beyond being, like, here's a setup. Here's a payoff. Like, it didn't feel like it was part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Solo, we talked about it already. I'm, like, I don't mind it. I want to defend it. But it really isn't that good of a movie. Right. It's just at the bottom of the list. Not bad. I, I'll talk about solo. <laughs> um, okay, so my number five movie. I have to preference. I don't think this is that bad of a movie. I think it's very mediocre. But I just don't actively go out and watch bad movies. So I didn't. In my opinion, I don't think I saw a lot of bad movies. So that's why we're doing a bottom five. Mm. My number five movie, Tomb Raider. Yeah, I didn't see it. Didn't really care to see it. It's very, like, it has its moments, and then it has bad moments. And I think they did some creative things where it's, uh, uh, spoiler alert, the main queen woman at the end that it's like, oh, she's evil, conjurer death, she turns out, just to have the Black Plague. So they killed her to make sure the plague didn't spread. That's really cool and a really interesting idea of, like, oh, yeah, like, this thing that we thought was uh, magical is really just real life thing so I thought that was good and a good idea lost in a mediocre movie yeah yeah Uh, nothing else I really have to say (laughs) that's almost more of an offense to like to not say anything about it that's great I I, I mean the action's good at times and the main actress does a good job with like she actually like got really jacked for it and 
did her own stunts, from what I understand. So, yeah, yeah which is fine. Good. Uh, my number four is Venom. Wow. Okay. Where, where did you put Venom on your list? Venom overall? on my list. Where is Venom? 21 out of 39. So, it's Dude. on the bottom, but... Venom is a case of... I think it's farther down because there were, like, a couple very key elements that I loved. Uh-huh. The relationship between Tom Hardy <laughs> and Venom is incredible, and the batshit crazy things that he does as Venom absolutely just unleashed to do whatever he wants is great. Then you have another hour and 45 minutes of movie around that that adds up to nothing. The villain is everything we've seen before and doesn't make a case for actual environmentalism. Mm -hmm. The supporting characters just get tossed aside. The love interest has nothing going on. Uh, And, yeah, and the action is solid like for a small portion of it and the ending fight is just not good at all but if they if they just started the movie when Venom and Tom Hardy like linked together and it's it's literally just a buddy movie with the two of them mm-hmm. for the whole thing that would be great they just uh, really really whiffed on trying to set it up as an origin story make him an anti-hero give this whole other context to it and they God, that just made everything feel so much worse and dreary. I am not going to fight you too much on it. I went more in with an open mind, just being like, all right, yeah, this is going to be really stupid. Um, It was stupid. (laughs) I thought the special effects was good. It was better than I was expecting, but it still wasn't amazing. It wasn't a game changer, and I'm shocked it did as well as it did. Like, no one was predicting that. Like, what what part of the movie did people attach to say, I'm going to see this, like, and I'm going to tell people to go see this? Like, the parts that were crazy were great, but they were barely featured. Yeah. No, I'm not going to fight you too much on this. Also, Venom has a change of heart out of (laughs) nowhere. Like, literally an hour and a half into the movie, Tom Hardy's like, all right, I guess it's a suicide mission. And then he's like, you don't have to do this. Venom's like, actually, I'd really like to. And then while they're walking, he's like, oh, so what was your change of heart, Venom? It's like, I grew to love this planet through your body. I'm like, you've been here for, in his body for two days. Yeah. No, uh, I agree. It's Uh, not not that great. Yeah. Not that would be my biggest complaint about Venom is the change of heart. It's yeah. just like, mm, I saw your skylines and I'm like, okay, I'm down for this. Did you know, Eddie, I was sort of a loser. <laughs> I would love to see his home planet where Venom's just wearing like nerd glasses yeah. and just gets beat up by his friends. Oh, man. Uh, what's your anti-four? Uh, my anti-four is Game Over, man. It, I didn't see it either. Yeah. yeah, that was a Netflix movie again where it's all the guys from Workaholics and they're doing a parody of Die Hard. And it's just a bunch of dick jokes. Like, it's Ugh. literally just like, oh, shit, you cut off his dick. Oh, I have his dick in my hand. Throw it in your face. Oh. And it's just... Eh, I can't, it's just bad humor, you know? It's hard to yeah. say anything against it except, like, the movie is not funny. And you could make, like, you know, a dick cut-off joke funny. Yeah, it's just like a little... It's literally in your face, so... <laughs> oh, no. Um, yeah, it's hard to say. It just wasn't funny. They didn't do anything really inventive with it, and at the end I was like, damn, I think... Because that was one another movie I'd saw recently in the year, like New Year of last year, 
And I was like, damn, I think I just watched a really bad movie. I think this is going to be in the bottom of my list. <laughs> and it was. But, wow. Yeah. What's your number three? Number three is another movie most people probably won't know. Uh, it's a Netflix movie that came out kind of quietly. It's called Amateur. Uh, it's about this kid who's like, uh, I think he's in either eighth grade or ninth grade. And he's like a phenomenal basketball player. Like he's like basically pro level already and he's only 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he gets recruited to like this really elite prep school where the only thing they focus on is basketball. So he like, you know, shirks his classes and all that stuff. It just, it's a very generic story that you've seen in like episodes of TV shows. Like it's not ever stuff that requires a whole movie. Mm-hmm. So you just get like the, oh, all right, the coach is a little corrupt. Uh, all right, there's a misunderstanding. The thing that just brings it down a lot is that the acting's really bad, mm. like not good. The kid tries his hardest. Like the kid is, does a decent job, and the very last shot of the movie is really good because it it evokes a message that the movie was trying to say, but it never ended up saying. Okay. Uh, and it, I think the movie just got bogged down in the fact that it was like we're an indie movie and we're gonna try our darndest to make a to make a movie because uh, I think that was one of those things where it was like hi welcome to Netflix we're gonna greenlight you right so they were just like here's some here's some a micro budget uh, go make your movie however you want you're an independent filmmaker go do your thing and I watched it and it just it it didn't inspire me to to want to make more movies as an independent <laughs> filmmaker. It just, it was like, all right, so Netflix greenlit something that just was not good. All right, my number three is going to be a shocker to some that it's this high up. It's Solo, a Star Wars story. That wasn't your least favorite movie? Nope, I got two least favorite movies coming out. Wow. I would say I was most disappointed by Solo overall, because this is, I didn't have high expectations, but I had expectations, you know? Guys, we've done a whole podcast of why I don't like this movie. Go listen to that yeah, one. Yeah, if you want, go listen to that. Um, oh, God, I'm really tired of talking about Solo. I literally just uninspiring, contradicts the character, lame story. There's a lot of production problems. Could have been a lot better, and no one wanted to see a Solo story. And no one wanted to see an origin Solo story, so... If you want to, if you want opinions, go go listen to that. It's like our <laughs> longest podcast. Yeah. Uh, my number two uh-huh. is Life of the Party, starring Melissa McCarthy. Ah, yes. Uh, I told you we would come back to this. Yep. Uh, it's the laziest comedy in the entire world. Like you, like you know, kind of the lazy comedies of like the late nineties and early two thousands, where it's just like, all right, oh, mismatched pair, oh, <laughs> oh got a got a pop song in here. All right, keep the keep the tempo of the movie going and the characters don't mean anything oh this one character you saw once it's gonna show up at the end and save the day uh it did everything that is like so made fun of and so bad about comedies and they just fell into every trap acting's not good the characters contradict each other within scenes like (laughs) when they're talking to each other what they do doesn't make sense I, I couldn't, I can't stand it, and uh, yeah, I, that's that's all I'll say on that. It just made me very angry, but it made Can You Ever Forgive Me more of a pleasant surprise that Melissa McCarthy turned in a good movie at the end of the year. Yeah, Melissa McCarthy did not have a great year. No. She had this, uh, Happy the Time Murders, Happy, Happy Time Murders, and Dude, Can You Forgive Me, which I, was the only. 
I didn't say Happy Time Murders, but it was my like most excited movie of the year actually when we started out. Wow. Because I was like, are you kidding? A, like a puppet, like cop, like they take it serious. It's gonna be gritty. That's gonna be the funniest thing in the world. Oh, mm-hmm. but it's made by the son of Jim Henson, like the Muppets guy. This is and it just it bombed with critics and the audience, and I just couldn't. Yeah, it bombed with everything. Uh, okay, so my number two, The Spy Who Dumped Me. Oh, that's an interesting pick. I hated this movie, dude. This I had expectations, and I saw like trailers and stuff, and I was like, wow, okay, that looks really funny. Like uh, Kate McKinnon looks good. I haven't seen freaking uh, Mila Kunis. Mila Kunis anything in a while. And it was really not funny. Like, I feel bad because I feel like Kate McKinnon is an actual funny person that I haven't seen in a funny movie yet. Like, and she's trying, but it's really like trying the wrong things. Well, I think a lot of people see her do her SNL characters and just say, hey, can you be that kooky kind of person you're playing on that thing? And she can do more. She can, but like, this movie just. Give gotta give Solo some credit. It had a story I could follow. Spy Who Dumped Me was just like absurd, dumb. No one wanted this to come out. I feel like in the production studio, they were just like, "We gotta do it." Like this came out bad, and mm-hmm. we're gonna stick it here. And I was very disappointed. Like, yikes! Ugh. It just wasn't funny. You know, it's hard to critique people that aren't funny. Like, it's hard to critique a movie where it's like, "This isn't funny." Yeah, the only criticism is just it's not funny. Yeah, and, you know, in a comedy, that's sort of that's is a big part. part. <laughs> but, yeah, it's also something I say about Life of the Party, too. It just wasn't funny. Yeah, it's just very convoluted, very stupid characters, stupid villains, too. That's it. Yeah. All right. What, uh, what? Yeah, my number one worst movie... Uh, is The Cloverfield Paradox. Wow, this turned out to be your worst favorite? It was the first movie I saw this year, uh-huh. and I was worried about the entire rest of the year because of it. <laughs> uh, so there's a little a little backstory, and I might be, again, clouded by personal judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, used, I used to work for Paramount, and I helped with this movie a little bit. I was part help. I helped the executive kind of organize a bunch of stuff for it, and when I saw, I would see dailies for it, and it looked super cool. It looked really cool, and it was called. It was called a different movie at the time. It was not the Clo- a Cloverfield movie, and then after I left, it became a Cloverfield. Movie. <laughs> uh, it. Has uh, the main story is these people are on a spaceship and they open up a portal to another dimension, and the the world the two dimensions can't really exi- coexist with each other, so they're being like almost forced out of each other. And then uh, another sh- like another spaceship like collides with it, and they have to contend with that. And they take all like the worst parts of like uh, what I think like cliche sci fi movies mm-hmm. and just put them out there. Like there's the there's the, you know, reluctant leader who's, like, kind of an asshole to everybody. Uh, there's the, the strong the strong American captain. Uh, there's the, the sensitive, uh, you know, female uh, uh, operating officer. There's, like, a, a kind of a love story going on. There's the religious one, and there's the funny one. And they all kind of play into that, and they don't do anything with those characters. And there's a whole subplot going on on Earth. That is somehow Earth is being affected by the rip in the dimensions, uh, and things are just going going straight to hell, man. And it means nothing to the entire movie. Nothing is gained by having this that section there. That like 
adds nothing to the Cloverfield mythos. It all it does is connect very thinly to one of the characters on the spaceship, and it's just not good. Okay. Uh, and the the part that bothers me the most is that because it wasn't a Cloverfield movie at first, that part of the movie that's the worst part. I never saw any of that when I was working there. They added that so much later. Uh, and it just and there was yeah part of it is just I saw so many good scenes that they shot that uh-huh. they didn't put in the movie. And there's so many, and they changed like certain character elements that were really cool, and it turned into a different movie altogether. Do you think you the movie would have been better overall if they had not included the Cloverfield stuff? Yes, I think the movie if they didn't include the Cloverfield stuff and replaced it with the with the other scenes on the spaceship. Okay, I think it would have been better because because uh, if you take out the stuff on Earth, you lose. 20, 30 minutes or so, and I think you could fill in that gap with other spaceship stuff, where you make the characters richer and you give them more stuff to do. Because there's like a, a Russian uh, astronaut that's with them, uh, and he has a, and he like has nothing in, in the in the final cut. But like you know, again, I'm a little biased because I saw the things, and he had a he had a, a solid backstory like in the original version. Damn. But I think even independent of that stuff, like I just watched it as a movie and I just hated it watching it. And then I went back and thought about all the stuff that went into it. Yeah, So sorry, uh, old people that I used to work with at Paramount, but I did bring up Overlord because you guys made the say that movie and I love that movie. <laughs> so you made up for it. That's good. And Annihilation. They also did Annihilation. They are very smart people. They, just <laughs> <laughs> they run the game yeah. <laughs> of movies from good to bad. <laughs> Uh, okay. So what's your number one bad boy? I can guarantee no one's going to guess this, and I think we're going to have some discussion about it. My least favorite movie of 2018, Early Man. I did not like this movie. Oh, my God. And it's also just I was marketed a different, better movie also. So Early Man is the claymation movie um, about... Uh, shoot, do you know, what's the production company? Artman. Artman. Uh, they did Wallace and Gromit and like uh, Chicken Run, that type of stuff. And it's about what I was marketed as was. Wait, have you seen it? Do you know? I didn't see the movie, but I do know where you're going because okay. I know that it's not the movie they marketed. They marketed it as this caveman story adapting to the new golden age or like bronze age of like swords and like armor and stuff. And it's like, oh, how are they going to live throughout this? And like, oh no. The actual movie is a soccer movie. What? Yeah. It. it and I I get false marketing and everything like that is something that happens in movies and stuff and I'm not going to ding the movie that way but like the opening scene is just like them playing soccer I'm like oh that's funny they're playing soccer in medieval times that's, or like in caveman times that's funny but the rest of the movie is so playing it by safe and does not take any risks it was so formulaic where I was like uh, I was watching it and I was like, this and this is going to happen now and this person's going to fall in love and like, uh-oh, but this guy's going to walk away and become the big liar or whatever. And I was like, I watched that, I predicted that 30 minutes in and that's exactly what happened. And I was just so frustrated with that. For one, I was marketed a movie that looked a lot better and got a crappier movie that was predictable and just not okay again not funny mm-hmm. the claymation looks really weird this time i think they use cgi over some of the parts 
Which is like, that's not what, if you're going there for style, you're not there to see that. Yeah. I will say one thing, though, that I did actually see advertisements that did show the soccer part of it. Uh-huh. It was not, like, the biggest part, so they did, it was, like, split in half where part of the ad was, like, you know, Bronze Age versus Caveman, and half of it was like, all right, we've got to play soccer in order to, you know, show them what we've got. So I thought that the movie was just going to be like, okay, they're going to, like, have this confrontation, and then one of them's going to watch, see, like, oh, you play soccer, we can do that, too, and, like, that would be the climax rather than, like, the whole movie. Yeah. It was just a weird idea in general. Like, if I was reading that script, I would be like, no. Like, this is not, I'm not going to invest, because those guys, it takes three or four years, yeah, I think, to make that. Yeah, it those movies. Could you imagine working on that and just sort of constantly knowing, like, yep, yep. this is not great. And It also uh, opened the same weekend as Black Panther, yeah. so it got buried. Nope. Oh, God. I was just like, I was ex- decently like, all right, I'm ready to see this movie. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. And it just... It was my worst film of 2018 by a long shot, I would say. Wow. Well, I'm glad we had a, an eclectic list here. Yes, definitely did. Um, anything else you want to touch up on, like movies uh, uh, this year or last year now? Nothing specific, but uh, what I mean, what are your thoughts for, for looking forward to the movies this year? Uh, we, ta- we talked about this a little. I'm still excited to see Detective Pikachu. I think that's interesting. Uh, the next Infinity Wars, Star Wars. But do you have any like uh, awardsy movies that you know of that are coming out this year that you think would be good? Not, not that I can think of on top of my head. But like, I didn't know about Green Book or Roma yeah. or Stars Born this time last year. True. So like, you you're not gonna find those movies until October, maybe. So. I, <laughs> If you can predict an Oscar movie right now, like, you probably work in the industry or have, like, a formula that goes around. I think the only thing you could probably predict is maybe one of the Sundance movies, but that's probably about it. Yeah, and, I mean, maybe the Michael Jackson movie will get, like, the documentary yeah. will get something. Oh, yeah, there's a movie about Mr. Rogers, like, not just Won't You Be oh, Ready, yeah. there's one coming out, too, with Tom Hanks, which is, like, Oscar gold. Probably, yeah. They, uh, the Oscars seem to like Tom Hanks. So that's that's that seems like a good uh, precursor to the year. Yep. I'm not to screen. All right. Is there anything else you want to tackle? Uh, no, just uh, happy watching the Oscars, everybody. I hope our predictions were helpful. Uh, we'll be handing out best sound editing. Uh, <laughs> it'll, it'll be a good time. Yep, it'll be a good time. Um yeah, tweet at us your Oscar predictions. I'm interested to see what people say and everything like that. Um, if you want to tweet us, tweet at us. It's Dr. Script Podcast. Uh, we are Dr. Script on Instagram and Facebook. Just give us a like or a follow. Everything. Yeah. But you know, subscribe it. to our stuff. Leave a review. Leave five stars. Leave as many. If you can do more than five stars, go for it. <laughs> yeah, leave a review if you have the time. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back next week with another movie. Um, Sam will be sitting this one out, but it is a. Uh, hmm. It's part of the MCU, mm-hmm. and uh, more like the MC two. Yeah, the MC two of. Uh, make sure you get your vitamin D because you want to be you don't want to be iron deficient (laughs) I don't know it's been a long podcast it's been a long one alright we'll see you guys next week bye bye